right, so we're going to start off in 1 Peter chapter 5 tonight, and we'll start reading verse 1. It says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that should be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. And be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. So tonight we're continuing this series on confessing the sins of the IFB. And something that a lot of people have been guilty of in the IFB over the years is pastoral abuse of power. A pastoral, and I'm sure this is in every religion. Uh, to, I'm, I'm sure it's there. I only know the IFB, and we get accused of this a lot. But let me tell you, it's there. It's really there where guys, they have this title as pastor, and because they have that title and they have some power, they go crazy with it and do some pretty bad things. And this, what we're going to try to cover tonight really is kind of a complicated uh, subject that uh, I hope I can get across clearly tonight and just really help you understand some things that are very and very important. But I think, you know, we've all heard that statement, everything rises and falls on leadership. And I do believe the reason for many of the problems that we have in the IFB it's because of the men behind the pulpits. It's because of the pastors. In these churches where a lot of corruption is going on, it's because of the pastor. He's leading it. And a lot of churches too where there's a lot of bad stuff and a lot of bad things going on, it's just the people following the lead of their pastor. And you hear this statement a lot, and it's just a true saying, churches often take on the personality of the pastor. And it's, it's just true, that spirit that... Uh, what he puts out, it just, it spreads. And you, you know, you need to watch out for that kind of thing because, and, uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. And I, I need to try to really stay focused on kind of the main things tonight. I'm probably gonna have to take really two or three weeks in the subject because tonight I mainly want to cover what a pastor actually is. And I kind of want to talk about, uh, a good example of a pastor. And then next week, I want to look at bad examples. Because there's a lot of verses, too, in the Bible about bad examples of a pastor. And we just did not have time to get into those tonight. We, we, we don't have time. So tonight, I mainly want to focus on um, what, the, what they are, what a good one is. And so the common accusations that are made against IFB churches and the pastors is that the pastors have no accountability. I talked to a pastor or an assistant pastor here in town one time of a congregational church who him and the pastor were Hiles Anderson graduates. I don't think either of them are there anymore. Church is kind of, you know, not doing too great the last time I heard. But both of them, they were Hiles Anderson graduates. And they didn't like all the power that the pastor had in the IFB. They didn't think that was right. And so they went to a congregational church. And the, the assistant pastor, somebody's like, yeah, if our pastor gets out of line, you know, the committee or whatever it is that's actually above the pastor that consists of people that don't even attend the church, he said, you know, if we send a complaint to them, I mean, they're on it like that and trying to straighten the pastor out. And, you know, I was like, hey, and I remember thinking, you know, I do agree sometimes pastors get a little too powerful, but I don't think that's the way to go either. You know, I think that's going the wrong direction. But it is true. A lot of pastors don't have any accountability for anything. 
They can preach whatever stupidity they want. Nobody's going to hold them accountable. They do whatever they want with the money and nobody holds them accountable. Nobody has any idea what's going on. That's not good. And here's the other thing too. The people say that there is no way to possibly hold a pastor accountable for abuse. And you know what? That's also true in most churches. There's no way to do it. Uh, IFB pastors, this is another accusation, are dictators and are an authority over the Bible. And sometimes that's true too. You know, we all kind of get accused of that. But the, these are these are true in many cases. And so, let me ask you all some questions. I, I want to ask you these questions. Don't answer them out loud because I want to get you thinking. I want to get the wheels turning in your heads tonight just to kind of find out who you are and what kind of person you are too. Because, you know, that, IFB often gets accused of being a cult too. And the truth is there are many people that are in IFB churches that are great candidates for cult members. And, you know, hopefully uh, they don't have a cult leader, you know, in that church that they're at. Because there there's a lot of people who are very susceptible to cults and they're in IFB churches. And that, that's just fact. So we'll find out maybe if you are one of those uh, as we kind of go through some of these questions. But, uh, you know, don't answer them out loud. But because the thing is, too, about this thing, you know, how you are answering these in your mind might show if you want me to be a cult leader. Some people want me to be a cult leader. And a lot of people in their IV churches, you know, are enabling their pastor to be a cult leader. And we and here's what you got to understand. Behind every abusive pastor is a congregation of people enabling him. And uh, no, it's, it's the pastor's fault. Well, maybe it is, you know, for like something private that he does or whatever. But at the end of the day, a lot of guys that are known for being real abusive, they've done many different things and nobody's ever held them accountable. There's things that are public. I mean, there's guys that have been busted for adultery, all kinds of things, and they are still in their position. Why? Why did that congregation not get rid of them? Why did they not? Why did that church not immediately empty out? So you got, you all got to understand, you know, as a congregation, you do have some responsibility in what goes on. And therefore, you probably should have some kind of say. But uh, I, do, I do believe that, these, that congregations that enable pastors like that are partakers of the evil deeds done by that man. So here's a question. Should, and don't, don't answer it out loud, but should a church be able to throw out a pastor who preaches false doctrine? I mean... And then, so here's the next question. All right, you don't have to tell me how you answer it in your head, but who and what determines whether or not he's wrong since he's going to claim it's not false? All right, what, what preacher that preaches false doctrine gets him? It's like, I'm going to just get up here tonight and I'm going to lie to you all today and I want to preach a false doctrine that I really like. No, what do they do? They get up and they mess, they twist the scriptures and they say, hey, you might not like that, but that's Bible. You know, I'm just reading the Bible. You know, they'll say, th they'll say all those things, but yet... It's not Bible. So at the end of the day, you know, who decides? What determines it? You know, do, because, I mean, you know, how would you all feel if you've been coming to this church all the time, you've been giving to this church, and then all of a sudden I just get up, it's like, you know what? Forget the King James Bible. I'm preaching out of ESV tonight. I mean, wouldn't you feel pretty violated if I got up and did that? Okay, but what's to stop me from doing that right now? What's to stop me from getting up and just declaring that being okay? And just check, can I, should I just be able to say, well, the doctrinal statement, right? But you know, some churches don't even really have that. 
Well, this is our doctrinal statement right here. That's our doctrinal statement. Sometimes you've got to get specific. Because there's a lot of things we all argue on. I mean, do you really want me to get up here and start preaching Lordship Salvation next Sunday? And then expect you all to just go along with it and there's nothing you can do? And, but unfortunately, that's the case in a lot of churches. A pastor can just get up. He can change on a dime, preach whatever weird thing he wants, and the congregation can't do anything. You know, who decides that he has to go and what is the process for getting rid of him? What's the process for getting rid of a bad pastor? You know, most people have no idea. And let me, let me just reveal a little secret to you, all right? I have to say this too when it's going out on the internet. But most churches don't have a process in their bylaws for getting rid of a pastor. And you know what? I thought we did in ours. I went back and looked again. We don't. We, there's no process for getting rid of me. So you know what? I have just decided to give myself all the money in the church account. And what are you all going to do about it? I mean, how are you going to stop me? And I'm going to preach from an NIV next week. I'm going to wear skinny jeans. I'm going to have purple lights. And we're singing 7-Elevens. And then I can be popular with the trendies and have a lot of money. You know, what's to stop me from doing that kind of thing? You know, is, is that right? Is that legal? And you know, there's not much that the law can do with churches. There's a lot of protections that churches have. But, you know, so, I mean, obviously I'm not going to, oh, you would never do that. But, you know, some people might. We got to watch out. For, for this kind of thing. And you know what? Let me just say this too. I don't want to get ahead of myself because I don't think a church, especially when it's starting out, I'm getting ahead of myself here, has to have something like that. It probably wouldn't be a good idea. Okay? And I, I, I probably should say this, but let me say this. I do believe we are at a point in our church where we need to have something like that. And I think we need to add something. And I think we got that meeting coming up. I think we need to add something in there as a church, a process for getting rid of me in case I do something. Because, again, I saw the way you all look at me. What would we even do? How, how would we get rid of you? And you know, a lot of Baptist preachers, they want their people wondering and not knowing. Because they do. They, they want the power. And that's, that's not right. And that's not even biblical. So, uh, I, I will probably say more about that in a little bit, but so, uh, so, sh- here, so here's another question. Should a church be able to throw out a pastor who becomes unqualified to pastor? But then who determines the qualifications? Well, First Timothy, you know, t- lays it all out for us, but people argue about that too. Why can't we as a church decide this is what is acceptable, this is what's not acceptable, and then hold the preacher accountable? You know, I mean... Because then, all I can do, I can go commit adultery or something like that. Oh, where does it say in the qualifications you can't make one mistake? I mean, nobody's perfect. I mean, nobody can fully keep that right. I could say stuff like that. You know, my wife and I, we made up, whatever, and that wouldn't happen. She'd, you know, kill me. But at the same time, you know, what's to stop me from saying something like that? Do you think, you know, we've got to be specific about these things. So, should a church be able to throw out a pastor who's crooked with the finances? but who and what determines how a pastor handles the finances? That These are things that you all need to know that we ought to have some kind of process for. And so in a perfect world, you don't have to worry about these things. 
you should be able to trust your pastor. And often churches do. They just give their pastor all power. They give him all trust in everything. And nothing bad happens because he's a good, godly man. But doesn't that create an environment where a bad man can do a lot of damage? So we can just give all power and all authority to a pastor. A congregation technically can do that if they want. If you want as a congregation, you have the right to say, Pastor, we trust you across the board. Don't worry about keeping records of the finances. Don't worry about reporting anything to us. We trust you. Do whatever you want. And if I remain a godly individual, everything will probably be fine. But when we have a movement that is known for you know, abuse of power and things like that, shouldn't we ask the question, how did this happen? Shouldn't we ask the question, what are some safeguards that we can put up to protect ourselves from doing that kind of thing? Why would I be concerned about accountability? You know, why would I have a problem with people seeing what we're doing with the money? Why would I, why would I have a problem with that? I don't think it's asking too much to tell a pastor, hey, you know, give an account of thy stewardship. You know, what are you doing with this? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. A good man does not need to be afraid of accountability. And a lot of times, you know what it is? It's just laziness on the part of the congregation. They don't want to check up on the guy. But again, you know what you are? You're that person that's likely to get into a cult. Because you are. You're just lazy. You want somebody to tell you everything to do. When the truth is, you should be a part of the process and a part of what's going on. You should be keeping tabs on things. So, if we create an environment where evil can flourish... We're very likely to even turn a good man bad because we all get tempted. And again, the way we handled our finances when we started the church, you know, it's it's fine if we did it a little different back then than probably how we do it now. You know, back when we started out, you know, it's mainly new Christians. It's a lot of new believers. There's not much money coming in at all. Now we've got more expenses. Now we've got more money coming in. You know, you look at last week's offering, I man, that kind of thing can corrupt somebody real quick. So we got to watch out for that kind of thing and say, you know what? We're getting to the point now. We probably should add some layers of accountability here. We should probably do something about it. And it's going to be different from church to church. Every church's leadership is going to look a little bit different. We don't have to do everything exactly the same. But unfortunately, what we're seeing today is a lot of people are copying a model from the IFB that many times was an abusive model. And then they're wondering why they're having all those same kind of problems, why they're having the same kind of corruptions in their church. We've got to watch out for that. We've got to protect ourselves. And so, uh, you know, the argument a lot of people just make, though, is if you have a bad pastor, you just need to get out of the church. But, you know, the Bible says, too, in 1 Peter 5, that we are not lords over God's heritage. The Bible says Christ is the head of the church. If I have no accountability, if the congregation has no way of dealing with me, then who really is the head of the church? It's not Jesus Christ. It's me. Because you can read something plain and simple in the Bible that says Christ says this, but I can say, well, I'm the pastor. What are you going to do about it? You know, and unless Jesus actually shows up and does something, which, you know, Hopefully the Holy Spirit would take me out or something like that if I ever did anything. But, you know, he doesn't always do that. Sometimes, you know, he put, you know he'll put you to the test to see if you're going to do the right thing and take care of business and get rid of me. 
You know, because again, suppose tomorrow I just throw out our King James Bible. Well, that's in our bylaws. It's in our, it is in our bylaws and our doctrinal statement that we are a King James only church. So you shouldn't get bent out of shape if you come here and we're a King James only church. Well, that's what's in our bylaws. That's what we agreed to when we started this church that we were going to be a King James only church. Oh, I don't like that. I think that's legalistic. I don't, I, I, I'm not for that. Well, then you shouldn't join a church that has in its bylaws that it's King James only. You should, you shouldn't go to that church. You should join one that has a doctrinal statement that you agree with. But again, you join this church when you like the doctrinal statement, and then I just go changing things on a dime without bringing it before the church, without making a case, without changing people's minds. That's not right. That's not the way, that's not the way it should be. You know, again, what if you donated thousands of dollars to this church? You were faithful. You were a part of this church over the years. And then I can just tell you when you come to me about something legit that I changed on. And then I just tell you, hit the road. You're out of here. I mean, is that fair? I mean, do you really want to give me that kind of power? You know, who's going to stop me from being a heretic and just giving myself a huge raise that ultimately takes the church into bankruptcy? And here's the thing, too. I mean, if we don't have any process, no accountability, technically I could do that. And you know who it would only people that would hurt would be the church itself. Because did you know, too, let me just say this, nothing in this church is in my name. The van is not my name. This building is not my name. The bank account is not my name. So the thing is, I could run this church into the ground financially without hurting me personally. And then when we got to sell everything, well then... You know what? I'll just go take a hike and go somewhere else and find some other, you know, poor saps that want a cult leader. And I can go do the same thing to them. And that kind of thing happens all the time. That's not good. You know, and so some would just say everyone needs to leave that church, but that would just enable me to take everything for myself. And so in reality, the type of model we're seeing where the pastor has no accountability, it does, it makes man the head of the church and not Christ. And so, what I believe has happened in the IFB, and understand, my, you know, my dad, he came from the Southern Baptist. Uh, a lot of the pastors that have been in my life were former Southern Baptist people. And what I really think happened, I've heard all these horror stories of guys when they were pastoring these Southern Baptist churches and how they had to like go through all these committees to purchase a vacuum cleaner or something like that. And I've heard all these stories about these deacon boards that literally just killed churches. And you know what? I believe it. I, you know, I believe those stories when they tell me those stories. Some of these churches, they had so many committees, they had so many hoops you had to jump through for literally everything that nothing got done. I mean, they, you know, they wanted to, some of these places wanted to tell the pastor what to preach. They wanted to tell him who he could have come in and preach. I mean, they literally wanted to tell him every little thing to do. And they tied the guy's hands. And so a lot of these guys were just like, you know, this is a joke. This is terrible. And they ended up going independent. Well, you know, what happened is we kind of, again, that pendulum swing. They went too far to where it was, what the pastor says goes for literally everything. They have no accountability at all. And then we wonder why we're having all these abusive pastors doing all these terrible things in the IFB. They swung the pendulum too far to the right. And so, you know, because here's another question. Is a church sinning when they just trust their pastor and let him take care of things. Now, the answer to that depends on what the pastor's doing. Because right? if, if the pastor isn't doing anything wrong, well, then there's no sin there. But if he is, y'all are partaker. 
Okay, you all, because you're supposed to be holding them accountable. And so, what can we do to keep a pastor accountable? And I'm going to get to the Bible here in a little bit. Don't worry, but we need to, we, you need to pay attention to what's going on. You need to pay attention. So, if a man starts a church too, because here's what you got to understand too. I know this might seem a little confusing because, you know, we're all trying to make things fit our specific situation. But, but think about it this way. So let's suppose a man starts a church in his house, okay? And that's totally legitimate. Maybe there's only two or three people, uh, you know, one or two other families that's even coming in those first few years. Okay? During those first years, you're going to handle things a whole lot different than you do when your church has several hundred or thousands of people in it. There's going to be huge differences, right? Obviously, if our church, it's in my house, okay? You all aren't going to, you know, Tell me how to do things around my house, you know, but you know, there's, there's just not going to be a whole lot of accountability needed. Okay. You know, there isn't much at risk financially speaking in those early days. And there really wasn't when we started our church, but as the church grows, as the offerings grow and increase families, they become more and more invested in that church. And we need to understand steps are going to need to be taken as time goes on to ensure their safety. Because like when we started this church too, understand in, in, the, in this situation, when we started, I was sent out of Lighthouse. And for the first year, technically we were like a satellite church and we were under the authority of that church. Now, why is that? Well, I thought it was important too. We didn't have to do it that way, but we did it that way because I thought it was important because of the fact that I didn't see myself as this dictator that whatever I say goes. But if we would have all of a sudden started meeting and letting people join right away and having membership, you know, what was to technically stop these people that I haven't even met yet, that I don't even know yet, to just turn around and then vote me out, and then we lose all that building? Because most of the money uh, that got things started was, you know, my sending church. They paid me the first six months we were out here. We had other IFB churches that knew me that was supporting our church. So we were not an independent church so much because we had support, didn't we? So should that congregation have been able to like decide to get rid of me during that time when the truth is we were under the authority of another church where we were on, we were, we had financial support from another church? No, back then they shouldn't have been able to do that. They shouldn't have had a vote in anything like that. But as time went on and we became independent, then all of a sudden now things change a little bit. And so the, pro the process is going to change. So we've got to, so we've got to understand, you know, every, you know, five years at least, you know, as time goes on, we're going to have to keep making changes as we grow because the situation is going to be different. But what I want to mainly want to focus on tonight, though, is the actual role of a pastor in the church and the role of the congregation. This is something that I think for some reason, we've just got a broken mindset on this in the IFB and it causes pastors to be able to get away with a lot of really bad stuff. So uh, this is what I want to focus on. So back at First Corinthians or First Peter chapter five, let's look again at what it says. So first off, it says the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder. Now this is where people start wanting to twist the scriptures sometimes, and they'll say like multiple elders. That proves all churches should be run by a board of elders. Okay. Well, here's here's the problem with that. Um, if you're just starting a church and you got 25 people like we did in our first year and most of them are new Christians, why would you make any of them an elder? 
Why would you put them in any kind of leadership? Obviously, you're just going to have the pastor in that situation. Okay? But if we have a church too, you know, for example, the church in Jerusalem, we know they had thousands in that church. So they're going to need several people in leadership. It's okay if there's multiple elders. Now, we also see bishops in the Bible, which is like an overseer. If you want to have one guy that's kind of overseeing everything, that's fine. But all of those models are going to be different from church to church, depending on the size, depending on how long that church has been around. If we've got a congregation where we have several mature believers, we have several men that, are quali- that meet the qualifications of an elder, then there's no reason why we can't have them in some kind of like ordained leadership in the church. It's okay to do that while you have one who is kind of an overseer keeping track of everything. There's, there's all kinds of different models that we can use. So you've got people that'll read elders there, then they act like you have to have elders in every church. And I even saw one guy, he tried to start a church immediately like with multiple elders. Dude, that, that, that's not going to work. Okay, That's dumb. That's a bad idea. Okay, But then you have guys that, no, it's just one. There's only one, you know, just one, one guy, one pastor. He's, he does it all, says it all. And they'll butcher this passage too. Okay? It's just, you've got to understand there's different situations. But notice a few things about this passage too. First off, a pastor is supposed to be a model of what everyone else is supposed to be. He's not a superhero. Okay? Look at verse 3. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. I'm supposed to be living a life that you all are supposed to be living. And I remember I used to hear this all the time when I, I grew up in a pastor's home. Oh, well, you know, we weren't allowed to do certain things. Oh, that's because you're the preacher's kids. Well, actually, you know, my parents were raising us the way they thought everybody in the church should be raising their families. And, you know, you shouldn't have this expect, this high expectation for the pastor that he's just got to live, you know, this perfect life. That's that we don't have to. You shouldn't expect me to do anything that you're not doing. You shouldn't expect your pastor to take a vow of celibacy or a vow of poverty or something like that. You know, the things that you all do, we ought to be able to do it too. And if you shouldn't be doing it, I shouldn't be doing it. We're, we're, we're in samples. But you know what we've done? We've just elevated the pastor up higher than he's supposed to be to where we treat him like he's some kind of superhero. That's not right. That's not how... It's supposed to be done. We see a pastor, some people aren't going to like this, should be in subjection just like everyone else is in subjection. Okay, look at verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourself unto the elder. Now, if we want to just isolate that verse, that works good for me. Well, now the elder is pastor. Before it wasn't pastors, you know, it was just older people. But, you know, now it's a pastor. And the Bible says submit. Y'all need to listen to me. Y'all need to do whatever I say. But notice, but then it goes on to say, yea, all of you, except for the pastor, be subject one to another and be clothed with humility for God resisted the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Okay, here's what you got to understand about a church. This is not a dictatorship where I'm allowed to just dictate what is sound doctrine and how things are run. The church, though, okay, and... I don't want to get ahead of myself again, but the church should submit to me as they see me submit to Christ in his word. And let me say again, 
You should submit to me as you see me submit to Christ in his word. If I'm telling you that you should do something that is biblical, that I'm showing you from the Bible, then you should follow that because I'm showing it to you from the Bible. You're not to submit to me just to submit to me. Well, I don't have any Bible for this, but you all should just listen. You all just need to trust me on this. Okay? You need to understand, I've been doing this for a long time. You know, I've been saved for over 30, I've been saved for 35 years. I've been in the ministry now for 20 years. I grew up in a pastor's home. I've probably read through my Bible more times than the rest of you. I've got all this experience going for me. I meet all the qualifications of a bishop. Just listen to me. I shouldn't do, you know, no. Make me show you from the Bible. You want to know why a lot of pastors are preaching the dumb stuff that they preach? Nobody's making them show it from, show from the Bible where they're wrong. And when you do show them from the Bible where they're wrong, what do they, they try to throw you out of the church. Well, stop listening to those guys on the internet. That's what they always say. And that, that's pretty sad. But you should, you should, like Paul said, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. See, God gave us a book. God gave you a book to help keep a pastor in check. For you to keep a pastor in check. Okay? So it would be like this. If you decide that you're going to follow me somewhere where I'm driving, okay? It's okay if while you're following me as we're going, maybe we're going to go meet somewhere for a soldering marathon or something. It's okay if you find out where we're going ahead of time and have a GPS directing you there too. Okay? Oh, you should just trust me. I know what I'm doing. Well, actually, if you're following me in the car, most of you know you probably should have a GPS because I, I miss my turn and go the wrong way all the time. Or I lose people, you know. But, but at the same time, you know, God gave us this GPS right here, the Bible. And as we as a church, you know, God's put me in leadership in this church. And so as I lead as a pastor, you all are supposed to follow, but you're also supposed to be looking in here to make sure I'm leading you in the right direction. And if I can't show you in here, you don't have to follow that. And, and you shouldn't follow that. And if you do, just follow me off a cliff for every little thing. You're enabling me to be that cult leader. You're enabling me to be that abusive pastor in that situation. Now, here's, here's what you got to understand, too. Because some of y'all seem pretty hardcore IFB in here because you're looking at me kind of funny, all right? I, you know, if, if you all want to be those cult leaders, all right, we, can, we can set up that raise tonight, you know? Uh, we don't have to follow any process. I'll declare a business meeting right now. And uh, if y'all are going to fall for this, I'll, I'll do it right now. You know, I've been wanting to get a boat. I was just looking at a pontoon boat today. Okay. If y'all if y'all are going to listen to this message, we're, I'm getting a pontoon boat. All right. With the church money. And you got nothing you can do about it. All right. But anyway, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. But here's what you got to understand. A pastor is a man who is filling an office. Okay. He's filling an office. First Timothy three. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. See, it's not about the man, it's about the office. Okay? We should have a reverence, we should have a respect for the office, but it's not about the man, it's about the church. Okay, do you all understand this? What's more important, me, the man, or the church? It's the church. That's important. In Romans 11, 3, 13, it says, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. 
Okay. Now, when Paul said, I magnify mine office, is he just going, let me tell you all something. I am the apostle to the Gentiles. Bless God. I am way up there. You all better do whatever. You know, no, he, he, when he's saying, I magnify mine office, you know what he's doing? He was showing how serious he took the responsibility that had been given him. He had been given this office. He had been given this ministry. This was something that was given to him. And he's like, you know what? I better take this serious. And when, you, when a man is given the office of a bishop, he should have a great reverence for that office. And you know what we do today? We're giving all our reverence to a man rather than the office. And I'm not one of these guys that go around demanding respect and call me this, call me that. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not into that. But at the same time too, I do, I don't want to just have this attitude of, you know, who cares what you call me? Because again, it's not about me. I respect the office. I take the office serious. So I think it's important you all take the office serious too. But it's not about me. It is about the office. It's an important thing. I need to honor that office. You know, if I became president of the United States, then, you know, it wouldn't be right for me to just like, you know what? I know I'm president of the United States, but I've just decided you all don't have to call me Mr. President. Just call me Tommy. I just want to be down there with the people and just show how hip and cool I am. No, it's not that I'm above her. It's, it's a big deal. It's a big, important role being the president of the United States. So you know what? Why don't you show some reverence for it? And it's okay, you know, to let people show that respect for the office. And let me tell you, I have zero respect for Joe Biden as an individual but if I met the man in person, I would give him a certain level of respect because of the office. And I don't want, you know, and I would do that for like any world leader, something like that. I'm not just going to go and just have an attitude and be a jerk. I'm going to respect the office because it's not about them, but it's about what they represent. And that's what we've got to understand about a pastor is he is, he's, he's an office holder. And so we should all feel offended and violated when someone who is holding that office does something to bring reproach or disgrace to that office. Y'all should understand, you're a part of Liberty Baptist Church, and so if I, as a, an officer of this church, I do something, it makes the whole church look bad, doesn't it? And isn't that, why, you, know, and, you know, police officers, okay? A lot of times you'll have one bad police officer who does something bad and it makes the whole police force look bad, doesn't it? You know, they're not allowed. A police officer is supposed to be a law enforcement officer. They're not allowed to make laws out there. They're not allowed to just go and say, look, I got a badge. Do what I say. Go rob that bank for me. You know, they, they can't do that, that kind of thing. And if they were to try, and there have been some that have taken advantage of their power and those people get in a lot of trouble when they get caught, or at least they should get in trouble. When they get caught. And let me tell you, when a pastor does something that makes the church look bad, that's wrong, you all should bring the hammer down on him. Because he's disgracing that office and he's making the church. He's making the church look bad. So we should not just put anyone in that position and we shouldn't allow just anyone to stay in that position. The church gave him the authority and the church can take it away. Right? So... And let me briefly explain, you know, my ministry philosophy, because uh, you know, 
I don't believe there's any such thing as a pastor without a church. But I do think there's such a thing as a church without a pastor. You understand that? I've heard some people say there's no such thing as a church without a pastor. No. You can have a church without a pastor. If I drop dead, does Liberty Baptist Church cease to being a church? No, you'd still be a church, wouldn't you? And, you, there's, and there's still authority that you have. Okay? But, because uh, in here, so when it comes to certain authority that a pastor has, it's important to understand all that power that he has, all the power that I have, it comes from the church. It's the church that gives me that authority. When I baptize somebody, I do it under the authority of the church, not Tommy McMurtry. And, uh, or not the guy who just happens to be ordained. I do these things as an officer of a church. If I'm performing a wedding or something like that, I'm doing it as an officer of the church. The authority and power that I have, it was given to me by the laying on of hands. Like we see in 1 Timothy 4.14, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. And you know what the presbytery is? It's, it's an order of elders. And he says, meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So this is that role that a pastor has that's given to him by the elders, that's something that he should devote his life to, something that he should take very serious. But notice too how this gift, it was something that was given to him by a group of people, and that's what was special. And then he devotes his life to it. Okay, And so the truth is, you know, if my life is dedicated to the work of the Lord and the things of God, obviously I'm probably going to be a little more advanced than the rest of you in some of those things. I probably should know my Bible a little more. But, you know, the truth is, you know, you could probably, some of you could probably do a lot better if all of a sudden, as a congregation, and if we had elders in this church, if we... Somebody laid hands. He said, you're the guy we're putting in charge. You give your life to this. And if you started devoting your life to this kind of thing, I'll bet we'd see some changes in you. And I'll bet, you know, you'd probably be able to do a lot more than you realize you're capable of doing. Because I believe the Holy Spirit's going to bless in that area too. Because you know what? It's not about just you anymore. And you know what? It's okay if you have the attitude right now. Well, you know, I'm just Tommy. I, I, I can't really do that much. But you know what? It's not about you. It's not about Tommy McMurtry. It's about this church. It's about the authority that they have. It's about the Holy Spirit that is in you and that is helping you. And if as a congregation, we come together and we agree, this person will be the guy to take up the mantle. This person is somebody that we, we are willing to follow. Let's make him the pastor of the church. And they become the pastor. I do believe there would be a change in that person. And you might just be surprised what you're able to accomplish for the glory of God in that situation. But at the end of the day, it is, it's the church, okay? So, here's another question. Where did I get this authority that I have right now? Okay, so, I, and so the authority that I have as a pastor, because, again, there's no such thing as a pastor without a church. If you all kick me out of this church, okay, then what next? Well, I've, you know, I've been ordained before, so therefore I can just kind of do whatever I want. I mean, is that what that is? Can I just go start up a church as I see fit or anything like that? I mean, you know, you know, how does all that work? And I think there can be varying opinions on that. But here's ultimately what we need to understand. 
Okay? The authority that I have, I, I was ordained by my previous church, and then they sent me out to start Liberty Baptist Church. And so again, technically I was under their authority during that first year, but then once we had a congregation, okay, and I, I talked to one guy who, about church planning. I had, his, uh, I had his book, and I think it was fine what he said, but he told me, he said, technically, if you want to, if you're wanting to start a church, your church sends you out, you can charter right away. You can just have a meeting with your family and basically, you know, come up with a doctrine statement, all these things. And I was just like, I didn't really like the idea of that. I was like, no, I want to get a congregation first. And then I wanted, I want to, uh, you know, I had a sample constitution of bylaws. I want to teach that to everybody. I want to make sure everybody's in agreement on that. And then I want us as a congregation to decide on that. And that's what we did. We've got a charter. It's in my office. It's got a bunch of people's signatures on it. It's got a, uh, like a brief statement of faith on there. And so that after on our one year anniversary, because um, the church sent me out, they had a send off for us. We started this church here. We called it Liberty Baptist Church right away because we didn't want to do a name change a year later and change the signs and all that kind of stuff. But after the on the one year anniversary, we had a charter service. We, uh, my dad, you know, who was the, still the pastor then, he came out, preached, you know, put his blessing on what we were doing. And then we as a church, we formed, we had a statement of faith, we had a constitution and bylaws, we had several people that signed it, and we had an actual, actual congregation of people. And that congregation agreed to have me as the pastor. So originally, to start this church, this church got started under the authority of Lighthouse Baptist Church, okay? Because I don't believe individuals start churches. I believe churches start churches. And so once we became a legitimate congregation, started from an, under the authority of another church, then this church now has the power to make someone a pastor. And, you know, and, and I was the obvious choice, you know, then for the pastor. And so that's kind of what, you know, my philosophy is. On that, and because, uh, and so, a bishop really is nothing more than an overseer. He's somebody that the church, that you all, have put in charge. Okay, and I understand most of you weren't here, uh, you know, when when we started this church, when I you know became pastor, all that kind of thing. But you are a part of the church now. You've joined the church now, and therefore you are a part of the authority of this church, and do have a say. And what kind of thing goes on. And you all are supposed to be keeping me in check. And so, because we can't all be in charge, you know, we can't have multiple bishops, but a church can come to a, agreement and hold bishops accountable. Y'all can do that. Matthew 18, 15 says, Moreover, if thy brother trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with him two or, uh, Take thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. And so right there, you know what we see where it ends? When brought before the church. Because the church is the authority directly under Christ. So it ends there. The two or three that we would probably send the first time if there's an issue would be like a pastor and people in leadership. But then if they're not going to, if they're not going to listen, that's when you bring it before the church. Okay. And then notice it says here, verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. 
I, again, I say to you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So God's saying, I'm going, you know, your, what you decide as a church, it has authority. What you have, what you decide as a church, it carries some weight to it. And you know what? That authority is recognized in heaven. That's how serious God takes this stuff. And so we should take that stuff serious too. We should take these things very serious. So here's the question. Can a congregation ordain a pastor? A lot of times, some people think only a pastor can ordain a pastor. But then that would require every church to kind of be dependent on other churches. Especially if something happens, you know, and the pastor just drops dead or something. But the truth is, I think they can, assuming, one, it's a legitimate church. We've got an actual legitimate congregation there. And I do think it's very important that there be, uh, if you're going to use that method, in my opinion, because I think there can be some varying differences on this. I think it would be better if there were ordained elders in the church who have the authority to lay hands on somebody. Because, you know, here's the thing, too. You know, and, th- and, th- and some of this will change as we grow. But... You know, when, like, when it comes to certain things, this, we got a church isn't a democracy. Not everyone's going to have equal say. I mean, do we really want to give the person who just starts coming a week ago and joins the church equal say in everything? I mean, that's not really the way to go, is it? You know, that probably wouldn't be a good idea. What if we're a really small church and then we get like a few new families that all just kind of, come together and decide, hey, let's go join that church and basically take it over, you know. And then, you know, there's that church is so small, we could, if we all come together, we can go and we could vote them out. We can take over their building. So who would do that? I've thought about it before. No, I'm just kidding. Because I, 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 I remember when we started the church out here, you know, I remember just, you know, thinking about, you know, getting, uh, there was this church building. I thought, man, it'd be nice to get that building. And it was a really small congregation and I remember I was just joking. It's like, you know what we should do? We should just all go over there, join that church. And then we'll be the majority. And then we vote that pastor out and make me the pastor. <laughs> but that would be terrible. Right? That would be a terrible thing to do. And so obviously, you know, this isn't just a democracy where everybody gets equal vote. But it would be okay for us as a congregation. And, and I'm not saying we're quite to this point yet where we're like, you know what? We should have some other leaderships in the church and we have some like elders or deacons or trustees uh and they're kind of a leadership in the church and then if that time comes you know they're they have a bigger part in that decision and who becomes the pastor because again that person that just got saved out of the charismaniac church do you want them having an equal say in who the next pastor is they might not learn about women preachers and things yet you know they might vote for you know, some Beth Moore type or something like that. You know, we don't want that. And so obviously, there's a lot of different ways that you can do these things, but I think that's what we should shoot for, you know, where we have other leadership that's in this church, other ordained leadership, and there's a congregation, you know, you can kind of put that on them, that, you know, they're, they'll decide these things. And that's another subject. I don't, I don't want to get into that a whole lot, uh, but... Uh, turn over to First Timothy chapter five. But let me just say all this: that so there's more than one way to skin a cat with all this stuff. 
Every This is why churches need to be independent. Because the system that works for the church of 500 is not going to work for the church of 50 or the church of 20. We've got to look at our own unique situation and say what works for us, what helps us as a congregation do the right thing, what helps us hold our pastor accountable. We, we can figure that stuff out. We should be able to figure that stuff out. It shouldn't be that hard. So, 1 Corinthians 5.17 because this is, this is the objection. Okay? This is going to be the objection from the proof texters, from the verse, you know, the, not even verse isolators, but the phrase isolators in the Bible. It says in 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders that rule well, I'm the ruler of this church, what I say goes. The Bible says rule. You know, give a man an inch, you think, he thinks he's a ruler. You know, and they do. They see that word rule there, and they just go crazy. Double honor! Alright? Especially they who labor in word and in doctrine. But here's the thing. The word rule, okay, I say this all the time, the Bible is not a magical, it's a powerful book, but it's not a magical book. Okay? You can't take words in the Bible, change the meaning, change the context, and create new realities with it. That's not how the Bible works. Okay? And the word rule in this verse, it does not magically grant all power and authority for a man to just do whatever he wants. His rule does not extend beyond the realm of authority that has been given to him. Remember, to those, remember that for those who, who want to just let a president tell everybody everything to do. No, a president's power is limited. And guess who else? You don't want a king's power is limited. And in case somebody wants to rain on your parade celebrating American independence, okay, understand a king's power is limited by God too. And I say God bless the rebellion of 1776. All right, you know, but that's another subject for another day. Okay? But let me tell you that it does that that word doesn't grant all power, and a king can't just say, "Well, I'm the king, therefore everything of yours is mine. Your children are mine. Your wives are mine." And guess what? Kings have done that in the past. Bible says, "Honor the king." You got to do it. Baloney, baloney proof texter, ignoramus, baloney. That's not how. That, and you know what? A lot of pastors have gotten up. The Bible says rule, and you got to. Bunch of con- you know, just people de- begging to be in a cult, sitting out there. Yes, master, whatever you say, we will do. The Bible says rule. We're gonna let them rule, and then I just declare myself authority over your home. I tell you how to dress. I tell you what to watch on TV. I tell you every little thing to do, all from bishops that rule well. You know that that's what you're gonna do. But no, because my the no one's rule extends beyond the realm of authority that's been given to them. It's the wrong authority given them. You know, if I as a pastor too, I give somebody a responsibility in this church and I put you in charge of, let's say, the soul winning or something. Okay? Let's say I put, you know, Brother Austin in charge. You're in charge of the soul winning groups. Okay? And then he comes to Brother Daniel and starts telling Brother Daniel how to do everything with the music. Well, Pastor Tommy put me in charge. I'm, in, I'm the one in charge. In charge of the soul winning. Not in charge of the music. So you can shut up about that. And so understand, there's con- you always got to look at context. Watch these guys that want to isolate the verses like that. It's absolutely disgusting. Some, but here's the thing. Some churches have willfully chosen to give all power and authority to a single man. And you know what? If they want to do that, technically, I guess they can do that. But I don't think it's the wisest choice. But at the end of the day... I think it's fine for a church to give the pastor the ability to freely do 
what needs to be done for the good of the church, as long as two things are remembered. And one, that the pastor's authority comes from the church. And he needs to respect that. Okay? You all can, you know, you all, if you want to give me a long leash on some things, that's fine. You know, you can do that. But I always need to remember that it's you that gave me the authority. It's the church that gave me the authority to do this. I'm not just going to go wildly spending the money without making sure the congregation knows what's going on. I, I, I shouldn't do that. So that's, that's important. But then the second thing, the congregation always needs to remember you're still responsible for what the pastor does on their behalf and you need to hold me accountable. That's something that you all need to remember too. And so, the last thing we need to understand, because like I said, a lot of these statements that I've made, it's set up great opportunities for straw man argument. Okay, you know, I, a lot of people could take things I'm saying, and well, if he thinks this, then he thinks this, and you all know how that stuff goes. All right, we, I, I deal with that stuff all the time. But here's the, again, I'm not saying every member of a church is necessarily has equal say or responsibility. Okay. Obviously, if something bad happens here, God isn't going to hold the brand new Christian or the brand new member accountable like he would somebody who's an elder in the church. And, and, and again, when it, when it comes to a lot of these abuse situations, too, where pastors have done terrible things, one of the most disturbing things we find out is that many people in leadership in the church knew about it. And... And it's like, why didn't they? And a lot of times there was people in the congregation, they were innocent. They didn't know. But again, sometimes it was set up that way in the church. That was the structure. That's just how it was in that church. You had your leadership in the church, it was the movers and shakers. And then you had the people whose responsibility was to fill the pews, amen the pastor whenever he puts his hand behind his ear to make him feel good, and to give your money. Okay? That, and, and again, I do still think there's some accountability there. But at the end of the day, you know, there's, you know, God's going to hold those people higher up more accountable. Okay? So don't, don't go straw manning me on these things. Cause, and here's, but here's the other thing. As a believer, and as you grow in the Lord, and you're in church, you should also be growing in leadership too. That's something you ought to shoot for. Okay? Not because you just want to achieve a title, but because if you're growing in the Lord, guess what? There's going to be, we need mature Christians. We need people in leadership and doing these things. And so obviously when you first get in, you know, you don't want all these responsibilities piled on you, but you should be growing in leadership in your church. And then, but the leader and the leadership in the church takes the vast majority of the blame when things go bad. But however things are structured in the church, it's important. It's an important thing to understand about the church, about the direction of the church, that it should never be all about one man unless it's about Jesus Christ. It can't, be, it can't be all about one man. And unfortunately, that's how it is in many churches, and not just the IFV too, okay? You know, when you think of, certain, when you think of most churches today, you mainly think of the man, don't you? You, may, you mainly think of the pastor. And there's a lot of reasons for that. We'll probably talk some more about that next week. But, but at the end of the day, it's not supposed to be all about the man. It's supposed to be about the church. I'm just an officer, Okay? And, you know, and it's, and it's usually, it's, it's not always a good thing. You know, like when we think about the Minneapolis Police Department, who do you think about? Derek Chauvin, right? Hey, cause he, cause he did bad. And it made, it made that whole police department look bad. 
And a lot of times too, you know, we know all about certain churches because there was a, a guy there that made it look bad. But the truth is, it's never supposed to be just about one man. It's supposed to be about the congregation. And in the IFB, most people today, it's like they're coming to church just waiting for the one-man show. Let's watch the one-man production where the guy gets up, entertains us, does whatever. We just kind of put it on him, give him all that money. We don't take any responsibility. Folks, one man can only get so much done. We need a lot of leadership in this church. If we're going to keep expanding the ministry of this church, expanding what we do, we need a lot of people in leadership. You know, I believe I'm, I, you know, I'm the pastor of the church. I'm the bishop. I'm the one that's kind of overseeing things. But, but at the end of the day, you know, I think, like I hated when we started this church. I felt like I was doing a one-man show. I did most of the special music. I led the singing. I did the preaching. It was just, it was just me up here the whole time. And I hated that. You know, it was a blessing when more and more people, you know, we started seeing a change of faces up there. And I like it now. We see different faces up on the platform all the time. And I think it needs to continue to be that way. And as, as time goes on, if I believe if we're the right kind of church, if we're a strong church, it's going to be less about me. That's the way it should be. And that's what we need to be shooting for. And so I know this message you know, wasn't so much like the other ones. Next week, now that we've kind of established what the role of a pastor is and looked at a good pastor, we talk about bad preachers next week. All right? And that's where you can have some fun. Because trust me, I'll be dropping some names, uh, calling some people out. But, and I really want to do that this week, but I thought I've got to establish this because I'm afraid too many people in IFB churches and maybe even here do not get this. They do not understand this. And I've always tried to operate under this philosophy. I've always tried to practice this. But at the same time, um, you know, it, it, I, I don't know for sure that everyone completely understands this. And I think it's something that is very, very important. So if you get anything from this, always remember, a pastor, it's, a, it's an office. Okay? It's not about the man. I'm a man who happens to hold that office. I can be replaced. Okay? And it's the church that gives a pastor authority. And we need to uh, we need to keep that in mind and remember that and not elevate that position higher than it should. Otherwise, you will enable me to be that abusive pastor. And, and it could happen. I've got some of the characteristics that could make me that way. Uh, I, I, I definitely do. And so I need accountability. I'm not afraid to admit it. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I pray this was a help to everyone tonight. Try to cover a lot of information here, but help everyone just realize the responsibility that they have as a church member. Lord, help us not to see church as a place where we just show up to uh, get entertained a little bit, get our ears tickled, Lord. But help us to understand that this is a work, that this is a, a ministry that that we as individuals, we are the church. And help us to uh, all be involved. Help us to all do our part. And Lord, I pray you'll help me uh, as a bishop and overseer of this church. Uh, to do my part and not elevate my role uh, and above what you have made it. And I pray you'll bless us for it. In your name we pray. Amen.